America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. People seem to forget, if you change today, today will change your life. To keep up with the latest episodes, make sure you subscribe to the Self-Belief Chief Podcast Facebook group, download your favourite ones, and this episode is brought to you by Odd Health, the easy way to speak to a nutritionist. Take control of your health and your body with the support of registered nutritionists online through the Odd Health app. You can even take a free questionnaire so that they can understand more about your goals to help with your first consultation. If you want to know more on the selfbeliefchief.com forward slash podcast page, underneath the episodes, you'll be able to find more information. Hello, Robin. How are you doing? Good, David. How are you? Yeah, I am very well, thank you. We were just talking off, off, uh, off air about the crazy world that we're currently living in right now, and you said be doing all right. And uh, how have you been sort of filling the time or using the time to keep yourself, I guess, entertained, but also move your work forward? Yeah, so I made a decision early on, maybe after the first month, you know, after the first month of like eating everything in sight and being <laughs> upset, I decided, what can I do with this time? And so I, I, I recreated my business. I'm recreating myself. I've been on um, a, a wellness plan. Um, I've lost 15 pounds. Congratulations. I'm ex- thank you. I'm exercising every day and drinking my water and just taking this time to go inside. I've been doing more meditating and uh, more yoga and just uh, taking this time because my life is this normally because I work from home and I'm an author and a spiritual teacher and a, and a writing coach. So not much change for me except that my all my children came home for a while <laughs> right okay so that was an adjustment and we got a new puppy oh. um, at the same time so that was fun and interesting and but it you know i was so blessed to have my children come home from new york city because it was difficult there yeah and so i have taken this time to really evolve and to send out a lot of prayerful energy to the world for this healing of, of COVID-19 and to all the people that are struggling because of the current economy. And so I've really tried to embrace my own teachings, mm-hmm. which is not always easy to do, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, and send them out to the world. How can people be doing a better job of that? And I, you know, some people that, that, that desire to want to feel like they can do something and maybe there's not actually a lot they can practically do because of various restrictions, but in the way that you just shared in terms of the energy that we're putting out to the world, mm-hmm. I mean, how can people not only do that, but feel very connected to doing that? Because sometimes people feel like, um, am I doing it? Am I doing it right? Am I going through the motions yes. a bit? How can people be doing it and, and actually recognize that they're feeling that energy being shared? Yeah, so I would say the first thing to do would be to sit down in a quiet place, whether it's outside in nature or in your own home, 
and sit down and, and bring your attention to your heart center. And then from that place, from that place, begin to see the entire globe out there and then start blasting. It's really what I do energy out. And I start seeing that energy form a circle around the earth. And so that is the energy of love, the energy of joy, the energy of peace, and the energy of abundance. So I send out this blast from me, this unconditional love out to the entire world. Now, one of the ways to get started by doing that is start with your own family and friends, and then start with your community, and then start with your country, and then start with your world. So you can, you can branch out and expand it. It's like um, throwing a rock into the pond and how it ripples right? And then seeing the ripples get bigger. And then all of a sudden, you're sending this energy out to the entire planet. And that helps more than you could possibly know. Because everything begins with inside of ourselves, even world peace starts within our own hearts. And so the more that we can feel that peace inside of ourselves and send that out, we are indeed helping to bring peace to this planet and and healing when did you first get in touch with that concept and that feeling and i use this as an opportunity maybe to for our listeners to hear your story but when within your story i would be curious to know when you realize this kind of realization that actually what's going on internally and how that can be shared outwardly it's very yeah. powerful so for people listening, could you tell us a bit more about your story? Yes. So around uh, the year uh, 2003, I was working in corporate America into my 25th year in right. corporate. And I just, it was kind of fun, funny because I started not to be able to breathe in the building. I was feeling suffocated in there. And so every night for a year, I stood out on my deck and asked the same question, how can I be of greater service to mankind? And there was an energetic being standing on the deck with me, but I was afraid to look because I, I was scared, actually. And I, it turns out that by spending all that time out there asking the same question, I basically dedicated my life to being of divine service. And the being of light that was standing out there was um, a being of light that I call Yeshua, but most people know him as Jesus. And so I began this relationship with Jesus that I didn't even know I was beginning. And um, I went on this crazy spiritual fast track journey. My spiritual mantra was bring it on. And, and so about eight years into it, I, um, Yeshua returned and said, I need you to write a book called Messiah Within, A Guide to Embracing Your Inner Divinity. And so I wrote this book for him. With no, I wasn't an author. I wasn't um, a Christian scholar. I wasn't a Judaic scholar. I, Because I, Yeshua is his name, Rabbi Yeshua is his name in the, in the uh, Old Testament. And so that's how he came to me. And it was his desire that we have world peace on the planet. But he's, his desire is that if we knew that we were each the Messiah of our own lives, 
that we could find that world peace within ourselves. And mm-hmm. so it was a very profound book and, uh, and, and a little hard to hold the energy for it. And so I don't think I was doing that great of a job after I released it. And he returned to me 18 months later and he said, Robin, come and teach with me where I am. And I thought he was asking me to leave the planet. But what I realized is that he was asking me to up my game, my teaching game, and embrace the teachings. And so I spent another two years figuring out why I was not living the teachings. And that resulted in my second book called The Divine Keys, which is a path to your own divine oneness, like how to really talk the talk, talk the walk, and walk the walk of spirituality. And so I, I wrote this book. It's a more of a contemplative book. And then around three years later, I, I received a message from Sophia, who most people don't know who she is, but she is the Holy Spirit, that she wanted me to write another book, which was called Feast and Famine, Healing Addiction with Grace. And it's uh, the story, the story is evolves around my addiction. Um, I am doing all this spiritual stuff, but I have an addiction to obsessive eating and bulimia. And so, um, and so she said, I want you to tell your story. And I want you to tell the world that what we're really addicted to is suffering. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that we choose vices and substances to um, to wallow, to to because we're wallowing in our suffering, we need to feel better, and we choose substances and vices to make us feel better, and that we have to um, surrender our pain and suffering so that the grace will arrive in our lives to tell us how to heal, and so I wrote that book, and that's currently out. That I put that out in 2020, and um, that was very powerful because the first time I wrote Feast and Famine, this book on healing from addiction, at the end of the book, I was still in addiction. Right. So, so my, I wanted to write, so I hope these teachings work for you. They didn't work for me. Have a nice life. <laughs> but instead, I, I put the book down and I said, I cannot release this book until I come into recovery. And um, I finally hit rock bottom with a very physical experience with the bulimia that with blood and pain that I knew that if I didn't stop, I would probably die. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to stop. And then I rewrote the book from recovery, which is such a different place, David, than writing something from addiction. It's incredible. And um, so that's my, that's my third book. That's, that's currently out. So to talk about addiction, before we talk about some of the insights that perhaps you could share for people who are going through their struggles right now, um, you mentioned about being addicted to suffering, and for, you know mm-hmm. there are there are lots of side benefits to, I guess, being addicted to something in terms of it either giving us certainty or connection or you know attention or lo- lots of different things that can be because some people might think, well, actually, how am I benefiting from something that's causing so much pain, and I'd love. I'd like for you and your expertise to perhaps share a little bit more about that. But in, maybe could you speak to, with your addiction, 
how it was addiction to the suffering in your example and then maybe we can talk about how others can uh, can help with their with their mm -hmm. pain mm -hmm. yes so throughout my life beginning at age six and all the way to quite recently i had this p emotional pattern where i would um, people would humiliate me and humiliation is a very big problem it's it's a form of bullying and people humiliate people um, just even they may think that they're joking you know they're saying a joke but people tend to make other people feel bad and so I struggled with this humiliation and so what happened for me is it became such a, a problem for me that I had I, I started to um, obsessively eat and then the bulimia was a form of self-humiliation because every time I would have a bulimic episode I would roll my eyes at myself in the mirror right. and I would be so upset with myself and so, so what I learned in writing Feast and Famine is that if I humiliated myself first through the bulimia then I wouldn't have I no one could humiliate me. Mm. What got me out of that pattern was a very simple idea that I also learned while writing the book is that no one can judge you unless you give them the title of judge. Mm -hmm. If you give them that power to judge you, then of course you're going to feel terrible, right? Yeah. But if you just hear what they're saying, because Here's something, this is a spiritual concept, but probably very important for, for your listeners. And that is that most often when people are hurting you, it's really what's going on inside of them. It's really never about you. Mm -hmm. Maybe once in a while, you have to take ownership of it. For, but for the most part, they're reflecting or def deflecting, I guess, back onto you what is going on inside of them. And so if you don't give them the status of judge, then you can just hear what they say and say, you know, I'm so sorry you feel that way, but I'm gonna really take, I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna think about it. And if there's changes that I can make that will be better for me and our relationship, I will do that. But when you're not in that state, when you've given them the energy of judge, it's just devastating, yeah. devastating to you. So there was a book I read by Gay Hendricks um, called The Big Leap. Mm -hmm. And this was an important book too. In it, he says that most of us work in our zone of brilliance, right? We get good at something and that's what we work. That's how we work in the world. And that's how we are in the world. But what we really want to work at is work in, I should say, is our zone of genius. But what stops us are upper limit beliefs. That's why I thought you'd like this. Mm -hmm. um, upper limit beliefs. And those are the beliefs that stop us from moving into our zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a tremendous amount of time looking at these upper limit beliefs that I had. And one was, if I really step out as the divine emissary is what what my guides call me doing things like this if i step out like this then i'm going to be humiliated and persecuted right 
And that's just not true. But I had to do all of this work to really heal that, right? And stop suffering and stop suffering, stop persecuting myself through the bulimia and not worrying about other people persecuting me, right? Or humiliating me because I'm not going to give them the title of judge. And so it was this whole series of healings that I did through um, mental health therapy, through energy healing, through inner work, a lot of meditation, a lot of connection to my own spiritual team, um, my guides and angels, and deceased loved ones, all whatever, wherever the information was coming from, I was absorbing it so that I could become the messenger that I am today speaking with you. So I moved from my zone of brilliance because I could talk spirituality till I was blue in the face before. But now I'm embodying it in my zone of genius and really sharing it at, at a different level. I love that. When you were talking, it reminded me of a story I heard a while back, which was there was a, a religious figure being interviewed by a journalist and at the beginning of the interview, the journalist says to this religious figure, you know what, I actually, this religious figure was someone quite well known. Journalist said, I'm not, I don't really buy what you do. I, I think actually what you say doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think it really is helpful for anyone. I actually think it can be damaging for some people. And I just want to tell you, but you know, heads up, I'm not, I'm not a fan of yours at all. Mm. And the religious figure said, yeah, I understand. That's fine. And the journalist said, well, is that all you have to say? And the religious figure said, well, if I don't take on your negative energy, who has it? Mm -hmm. And the journalist stopped. He went, well, me. And the religious figure said, that's right. And he says, how long have you lived with that? And the journalist stopped and paused again and they, ended up having a conversation and long story short is that they're actually they've been friends for decades now that that kind of understanding of the transfer of energy i find that interesting mm -hmm. and actually what we put out to the world but like you were saying in terms of it's actually what's going on internally for that person themselves we've all been in that place when we're frustrated or something else is going on or we've you know we lost our car keys and then this happened and this happened and this happened. And then one person says just the wrong thing and just slightly the wrong way. And we, we just don't quite talk to them the way we should or get impatient. And it's not them. It's just what we've been going through. Having that, I guess, empathy or understanding in the first place that yeah. it's not about us is a good, good little reminder so that we don't have to stack or take on their energy. I often find that as much as possible when you can lead with empathy then actually people kind of look at you a bit funny, like, hang on, but I've just been really negative to you, or I've just said this, or I've just done this, and you're being empathetic, and it kind of disarms them, and they're like, oh, what, what do I do with this? And you can just I let people sit in it. Mm -hmm. And I find a wonderful, a wonderful response when people are emoting like that at you is to say, I hear you. How can I help you? Hmm. Yeah. Right? How can I help you? That's also very disarming because that's not what they're thinking is going to come out of your mouth, that you're going to want to help them resolve whatever they're upset about. Mm -hmm. And I have found that that is 
And then sometimes they're like, oh, yes, this is really what I need. And then, of course, the truth comes out of what physically they need or emotionally or mentally or spiritually they need, not the, emo- that, not the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring it to resolution. Absolutely. Yeah. If people feel understood, then uh, it, it does make a huge difference. That's what we all want is to feel understood. And so to go back to, to the talking about the addiction, I, I really like the approach you have to it in terms of first dealing with the addiction to the suffering, but, and then dealing with whatever the vice is just in terms of something that maybe people can listen to and, and kind of take away. When we talk to the addiction to the suffering. How can people, become and i've always said to people clarity brings things closer mm-hmm. how can we give people some clarity in terms of how they understand the suffering and how that's how that's you know what's causing the addiction how can people listening as i said might be going through it right now go actually how can i pinpoint it for myself or what or more accurately what are the options for me to help with yeah. this? So I'm thinking of two things. One, I'll start with answering what, what, you, what you just asked. Most often, what we're suffering over is a pattern in our lives. And if you were to really sit down and look at that pattern, like when have you been hurt and how have you been hurt? And how often have you been hurt? That's what I had to do. I, I drew like a picture of like a little stick figure and then I started going around my little stick figure, little, little Robin, you know, mm-hmm. and said, age six, this happened that was devastating. So simple things that you don't even realize. So what happened at age six? My father had washed his car and there were the six cousins were there and someone touched his car. And so he lined us all up and we all had to place our little hands on the car to see whose <laughs> hands matched up. And my father said, it was my hands. And I knew that I didn't touch my father's car. I knew better than that, even at six years old, right? But I was punished. And I screamed the entire day, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And so that was like the first time that I was humiliated by my father in front of my cousins, when it wasn't something that I did. And so I was so upset about that. And so then you go around, you keep, you keep putting age seven, my mother put me on a diet at camp. And every day my friends would be eating desserts and the counselor would say, I can't have that. Right. And so that was humiliating. And so I just kept going around my life in fifth grade. I kicked a home run at, um, at, at, school in the schoolyard and I was wearing a kilt and as I rounded third base my kilt came off oh and so I this I had this idea in my head that if I wanted to if I ever wanted to kick a home run in my life that um, symbolically my kilt would fall off and people would laugh at me and so it stopped me from being out in the world and on and on through high school through college you know, through the working environment, I was um, sexually harassed in my first job in front of other people, and they fired me, right? So these things don't seem in, which was very humiliating, right? So they, they they don't seem like 
on their own, they're that significant. But as you, if you look at them, you'll see that there's a pattern. And so then you have to come back in and figure out how am I going to heal this pattern and who can help me to heal it. And so I think we can find this pattern because the pattern doesn't go away until you heal it. This is your soul's lesson mm -hmm. in this lifetime. And you need to heal this. And your soul is going to keep giving you opportunities to experience it until you say, what the heck is that? <laughs> Why does that keep happening to me? Like, what am I living a broken record? I mean, we've all like said these things. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. And even the last one, I have to just share the last one that I can remember that was significant. I was at a conference of hundreds of people and there was a comedian on stage and all of a sudden my guidance said to me, go back to your room. I'm like, I'm not getting up, you know, like crazy. Who's going to get up in front of a comedian, right? You guys, my guys were like, get up and go to your room. There's something important there you need to do. And I'm like, fine. I get up. And as I sneak to the back and I go to turn the door, the comedian says, Hey lady, am I not funny enough for you? And then the entire audience like burst into laughter, right? And I can feel myself like com becoming completely embarrassed. And I get, I, I, I get up to my room and there's nothing going on, right? Except that, except that the next day I was actually speaking for the first time about Messiah within and I was so filled with the fear of humiliation and persecution that I think I was getting like a, like they t wanted to turn the valve <laughs> the night before mm. and allow me to be humiliated so that I could get the fear out of me. So that when I get on stage for the first time talking about uh, Messiah within, I could do it from a place of grounded centeredness or from my zone of genius. Right. But all of these things, as I said, on their own may not seem that big of a deal, but if you follow the pattern, you're going to see that it's something consistent for you that is, it's almost like that, that they're part of your upper limit beliefs, like between your zone of brilliance and your zone of genius, and you've got to clear that boulder out. And so that's what I had to spend the time doing, and that required me to obviously come into recovery and then I could really dive into, okay, why was I suffering? So, um, and I also wanted to share within feast and famine, there's a healing path, uh, that Sophia shared with me. It's four spiritual concepts. The first is that pain is inevitable. Like we are not getting out of this lifetime without pain. It's like death and taxes, right? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. So pain is inevitable. We're mind, body, spirit, and emotion. We're in an integrated system. We're going to have pain. The next is that suffering is an option. People don't understand that. They feel that if they have pain, then they're going to have suffering. But that's not true. Pain is separate from suffering. You have a choice to suffer. So suffering leads to ad addictive 
vices and substances, right? We've, we've established that. The way to get out of the suffering is surrender is required, is, is the third concept. And what is surrender? Surrender means that you are just done. Done with the suffering and done with the pain. And there's a difference between, hey, I, I just don't want to do that anymore versus I am done right? When you put that energy behind it, the universe knows that. And then the fourth is grace must be allowed. And so grace is what's going to come to you with suggestions on how to heal, suggestions on who to meet with, suggestions on which podcasts to listen to, right? What, whatever the grace is, right? But if you noticed, I said grace must be allowed. So there's almost a caveat there that says, are you willing to receive the grace? And sometimes people are so, I, so identify with their suffering, with their addictive nature, that they can't allow the grace in. So that's why the wording is grace must be allowed. Because the grace is around us all the time, 24-7, just waiting to help us, but it's a question of whether we allow it into our lives. Really nicely put. And I think the point on grace is in particular is <clears throat> I always try and say to people, you know, as, as difficult as anything might ever be is that there's beauty somewhere in the world and that mm -hmm. you have to find it. And that's always going to exist. We're always looking for certainty in terms of, pain just creates usually creates unimaginable uncertainty and stress and but there's actually something to look look out for it's harder to find it at other points for sure so amongst the different stages that you referred to how do we integrate the writing element you found you 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 obviously find it very important of like many people including myself to write your story because you knew it'd make mm -hmm. a difference to other people Mm -hmm. And I know that yeah. you also encourage other people to write their story as a, as a healing process. So I'd, I'd love for you to share a bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was meditating uh, on a beautiful beach here on, in, the, in the Northeast of the USA. And um, my guides said to me, do you think that spiritual people have lived these extraordinary lives for their own entertainment? And I started to laugh, actually. And I said, probably not, but they, it makes really great stories. You know, they're fun at a party when they can say, oh, my spirit guide said this, or my angel, or I went to a medium and my grandmother came, you know, all, all of these different things. And they said, we would like you to become a writing coach because part of my writing style is I am a channel for the ascended masters. The ascended masters are the best way to describe them in the spiritual realm is like they're direct reports to God. Like they're very high, high level ascended beings. And they come to me with, with uh, opportunities to write books on their behalf. And so because I've learned to write by listening to my spiritual guidance, but also how to write well, 
Mm. I did have to learn how to write well. I knew how to write corporate but I didn't know how to write a book. And so what I've done now is taken the combination of those two things, um, accessing the spiritual realm and, um, and writing well and clear and simply, and bringing in writing clients who are interested in writing their story. And so the first level of writing their story, I always say, is for them. It's a healing tool. Because what happens when you write your story is you see, first of all, you see what transpired in your life, your patterns, right? And then you also see how far you've come in your life. And then you see how far you still have to go, what, what's left to be healed. And so I always say to my clients, first, write the book for you. Include everything. Include it all. Don't leave anything out that you think might hurt someone's feelings. Then what we'll do is we'll decide at that point if you want to publish it. Because what stops people from writing their life story is the fear of publishing it. So I'm trying to remove that by saying to them, just write it for yourself as a healing tool or write it for um, your family and friends. You don't ever have to put it out into the world. That's a second level decision. And so I do, I have a, a group of people individually that are, um, that are writing their stories. And it's so, it's such an honor to, to hold that space for them while they're writing and, um, and looking at their stories and, and some, some of them I know well, some of them I just met. And so it's, they, they all come, they each come with their own challenges because the ones I know well, I'm like, Hey, why aren't you talking about this? And the ones I don't know well, I'm like, I don't know what you're not talking about, but I'm going to take your word for it. Right. That you're being very transparent. Um, and then if, I, if, if they're not, then because of my gifts as a channel, their guides will come in and tell me they're not telling you the whole story. <laughs> and so then we go back and see what the whole story is. So that's what I'm mostly focusing on now and also writing my next book. Mm -hmm. well, let's, well, let's talk about that because I know you mentioned that before we, we came on the air. And as, I mean, your fourth book, I mean, I, I, having written a book – how you've written four, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You have to really love writing to, to do that. And it's, uh, it's a lot of effort. It's, it's painstaking at points, but actually you, you're right. If you get an opportunity to write down what's in your mind, what's in your head, uh, I just know so many people who, would, who say, you know, uh, no one actually really cares about me. And the point is, it's, it's not about you as such, it's about what you've experienced. And That's it's right. Connection with that. It's it's not because you're famous at this or done this or done this. It's just people want to know and feel un again feel understood because ah that's the experience I've been through and I don't feel alone. And it's a bit, it's a bit like the whole COVID thing at the moment where a lot of people who suffer from anxiety talk about they actually feel less anxious now because they know everyone else is experiencing the same feeling we're all going through the same thing at the same time right now. Yes. And I think so it's actually, unifying. Yeah. In a, in a very strange way, it, it puts up social boundaries, but reduces others. 
and so but let's let's talk about your your fourth book and uh you, you know in the middle of, of preparing that so tell us a bit more about what that is mm-hmm. so this is a this fourth book is a request from king solomon um i was about to fall asleep and he appeared in uh in my room and uh, he said robin i need your help and i said yes king solomon how may i help now i'm not sure how i knew it was him other spiritual people have said I knew his father, King David, um, back in the day, but I'm not really <laughs> sure. But I knew energetically it was him. I could recognize his energetic signature. And I said, yes, how may I help? And he said, I need my army of spiritual warriors to become divine warriors. And when that happens, there'll be a tipping point of on the planet where the rest of humanity will rise into higher consciousness living. So let me break that down. Mm -hmm. So spiritual warriors are people who have been on the spiritual path. So what is the spiritual path? The spiritual path is when you know that there's something more to life than just your, your own existence and that you're connected and part of a global energy or, and even beyond global, a universal energy. And you you begin to learn and connect how you are part of that and how you can live from within your own inner sense of connection, right? But what happens for spiritual warriors is they get stuck on the path. One, they never think they know enough. So they're constantly going to the next workshop or reading the next book. And two, they never think they're healed enough. Mm -hmm. So they're always thinking, oh, I got, I, I got to get to the next level, peel the next le- onion level, you know, just keep going and healing. When you become a divine warrior, one, you are healed enough. Yeah. Two, you may have a healing left to do, but in your mindset, you are healed enough. Yeah. And you may want to go further. That's an option. Mm-hmm. Two, there's no more suffering. Remember, in Feast and Famine, Sophia said that suffering is an option. Mm-hmm. As a divine warrior, suffering is no longer an option. Because if you are living heaven on earth as a divine warrior, right, you're representing the divine here on the planet, there's no need to suffer because there is no suffering. Yeah. There's no suffering in the divine realm. Why should there be any here for you, mm-hmm. right? And so those are the two things. And you begin, the third is, you begin to live the spiritual teachings. They, you become them. So when you're talking, you are talking as the divine. When people look in your eyes, that's what they see. It's like you're looking out as, as God or goddess. And when people are looking at you, they're seeing you right. as that energy. And so when that happens, when spiritual warriors decide to become their teachings that they've been studying for one minute to 30 years, however long it's <laughs> been, then there'll be a tipping point on the planet, which means that there'll be a shift in consciousness for the rest of humanity to come into higher consciousness. Does that mean that they're going to become divine warriors? Probably not but they're going to begin to look at their lives as part of the entire collective energy of all humanity and all beings on the earth and, and the earth herself. So this concept of oneness will become 
the breakthrough that we're all looking for. Hmm. Like, you know, most spiritual people are, have been hoping for oneness, right? These were the teachings of, of, of Yeshua, of Jesus, of Buddha, of everyone. If you go back to the core of all religions and all spiritual paths, it's the path of oneness. The idea that we are all one with God and goddess, you know, I don't, if that's what you believe, God or goddess or both, and that we can live that here on the earth plane. And that is the age that we're in. Many people call it the age of Aquarius or the age of enlightenment, the age of God. Mm -hmm. And this is, we have to mature into this. And I think that that's part of what COVID-19 is about. And actually, you inspired me to have this next thought, David. When you said earlier that COVID-19 helps to let us see that we're all the same, right? That we're all unified in this process. This, it stopped everybody. It impacted every single person on the planet. And so... If we can see that something like a virus can stop us and unify us, why can't love? Why can't the desire to share resources? Why can't all of the of peace? Why can't we have why can't we all embrace that at the same time? And so this book called King Solomon's Request is this process to help people to awaken to their true divine nature. And um, it's not, it, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm about a third of the way done. And I hope to finish it this month so that I can get it out there. Fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I, it's very exciting. I, that, that, that definitely sounds very, very interesting to me. And it, I think you may have answered the following question in, in some of the things that you said there. But before we get to, towards thinking of, of wrapping up this episode and, and people who are getting a understanding of what spirituality is if people wanted to really get an understanding just to summarize it in some way how would you define spirituality in a sentence spirituality is your inner connection to the divine or to god religion is your outer connection religion is community service um scripture Mm. right reading scripture spirituality is connecting within your own heart and feeling that connection to to the divine source to god so can you be religious and spiritual at the same time absolutely absolutely but if you're a religious person who's looking who who believes that the only way to God is through your, your clergy or even through um, Jesus, right? Whatever you believe, spirituality would say the way to get to, to the divine source is through your own inner connection. And the way to get to that is through prayer is through meditation, is through connecting with others, is through being in nature, journaling, uh, so many different ways. Um, 
helping others, having a wonderful conversation like this. You know, that's, that's the inner path. And everyone has access to that. And hopefully, we can come together as a world after COVID-19 and remember how we came together to help each other through COVID-19. So, well, we certainly hope so, and certainly hope that it's unlike, uh, no, sorry, hopefully unlike other, many other things where we kind of forget mm. the wonders of human beings. Is something, hopefully, this is something where we recognize and keep up, whether it's we recognize uh, people who suffer from loneliness or, or just the, or the many different sort of crises that many people have faced, that we still become acutely aware that they will still exist and that we can still make a difference. Talking about making a difference, Robin, what's at this point in your life, what's the footprint you want to leave for people? Yes, I want to lead by example. And that's what I'm personally working on in my own life is that these, I've been blessed to receive these divine teachings. And now that I have healed from addiction and I'm in recovery, I can actually truly live them. Before, I was living them always almost feeling like a like a sham, right? Almost like a fraud because I knew the teachings, right? But I wasn't living them fully. So now my footprint, I believe, is to embrace the teachings and to get the word out as well as I can for the ascended masters on what they'd like to see happen in this world. Mm-hmm which is a very simple message. And that's for all of us to live in peace and oneness with each other that's lovely. and the, and the mother earth and her, all of her inhabitants. Hmm. Robin, for those who are, who are interested in, in either the sort of awakening that you've experienced or that they experience some form of that for themselves or struggling with addiction, or they just feel like there's, there's something more to life and that there's a deeper connection to something and they're not, they're not sure what yet, but they, maybe they feel there's a hint of that. Where can people find out more about you? Yes. So they can find out more about me. My, my website is clarity.com C L A R E like my last name dash I T Y.com clarity.com. And on Instagram it's clarity by Robin and on Facebook, it's Clarity with Robin. Absolutely. Well, Robin, I want to say thank you very much for, the time, uh, for this time, because spirituality is something I find very interesting and, and something that I think all of us, to some degree, could tap into more, depending on whatever level people want to get to. But just to firstly, for people listening, to try and get, uh, hopefully with Robin's help, that you've had today and understanding what it actually is and what it actually means and and the benefits of it and understanding that there's a way especially if you want to feel more connected to others that actually without having to you know do this or do this or act, do all of these things is actually there are very simple ways to feel connected mm-hmm. and feel a deeper sense of connection i've certainly felt that from you today robin so i just want to say thank, thank you. you very much again for your time you're welcome and thank you for having me